Awesome. Well, good morning. Anybody having a good weekend? Got some cold weather? Let's go. A little uh, extra hour of sleep. What in the world? Come on. Like, why is it I still feel tired with an extra hour of sleep? I don't know. How many of you preschool parents did not get an extra hour of sleep, right? Yeah, your kid's got an internal clock. You know, I get it, man. But we are in this series. Let me ask you this question as we get started today. Like, what is it that you've stared at this week? Like, where did you stop and stare at something? Right? So right now, you're staring at me. Am I wrong? Right? You're staring like, what's he got on? And what are, is, he, is he wearing glasses? And what's happening? Why is he so handsome? I mean, you're, you're thinking all these things. And you know, and you're st- we stop and stare at things. How many of you stared at a little TV this week? Right? Sat on the couch maybe for a few minutes, watched something on television. Uh, guys, guys, have you, ever, have you ever sat around a campfire and just stared at the campfire? Like, why? <laughs> there you go. Come on. Like, why is that? Do we, like, ladies, if you've ever watched guys hang around a campfire, we stare at the fire and we don't talk. It's as if we think something magical is going to happen in the middle of that fire, like a genie's going to pop out and grant our every wish. We just stare at it. We have this ability to stare. Like, for some of you guys, maybe you're Georgia fans, and what you did yesterday is on your DVR, when the score came up at the end of the game, you p- pressed pause and you just stared at that score for about an hour last night because Georgia won. Must be Gator fans in this house. I don't know what's happening right now. Right? How many Gator fans in the house? Lots of you. Okay, cool. There are no dog fans in here. All right. It's going to be long for y'all this morning. Uh, you know, we, we stop and stare at things to get our attention, but have you ever stopped and stared at something that did more than just get your attention? It kind of stirred your soul a little bit. Like you looked at it and it was so majestic and awesome and beautiful. It just kind of stirred something in you. I, I had this experience a, a few years ago. Debbie and I were uh, we had gone on vacation. We were in New York City, and one of the places that we would go is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Anybody been to the Met? You've been there, right? And so one of the, the thing about the Met back then is that it was free. And, you know, my motto is, if it's free, it's for me. And so we went. And when we went there, specifically I went to see um, George Washington crossing the Delaware, the painting that is there. And because I had seen it in history books, and so I just wanted to see it for myself. And so I went to see George Washington crossing the Delaware. Maybe you guys remember seeing this in your history books. If you haven't seen it, some of you have been to see it in person. So I had in my mind this picture that had been painted that, you know, maybe roughly the size that you could hang up over your mantle. Right. And so when I walked through the maze to get there and I walk in the room, this picture is not big enough to go over your mantle. The picture is actually 12 feet by 21 feet. Imagine that's bigger than that screen right there. So when you walk in and you see this painting you've read about, heard about, thought about, and you're gone, you see it for the first time, and it's so massive, and it tells such an incredible story of the freedom of our country, you can do nothing but stop and stare. And so literally, I just sat on the bench for about 15 minutes and just watched it. And then every time we would go back to New York, I would, because it's free, I would take some time and I would go to the Met and I would go in. I would just sit in front of the bench. Debbie would stay outside and eat a hot dog from the vendor because she saw it once. She didn't need to see it again. And I would just sit there and just look at this and just think of the history behind it. Think of George Washington's life. Think of the, our nation and just think about the history behind this massive, majestic 21 by 12 foot painting. And listen, you've had something similar, right? Something that stirred in your heart. You know, maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon and you stood on the edge and you looked out over this vast expanse of God's created glory and the colors and the mountains and how large it was. And it just kind of stirred something in your soul. You just kind of wanted to drink it in a little bit. You know, maybe you were at the beach and you just stood as the waves kind of rolled up on your feet and you just looked out over as the sun set on the beach. And just something about that just stirred, just stirred in your soul. You know, maybe, maybe you've had children and you held that child for the first time and you had a couple of thoughts. The first one was like, I hope I don't screw this up. That was your first thought. But then you just looked at the wonder of 
the nose and the toes and everything that goes into that. And how in the world did God do that? This is a taste. This is a taste of what God sees when he sees our worship. That God wants us to experience something beyond words. That God wants us to worship him in such a way that it does something to our hearts. It transforms us. It changes us in a way that can almost not be explained. This is why we were created to worship God. You know, we all worship, don't we? And we all worship. We worship things that are worthy of our worship and things that are not worthy of our worship. But God has created us to to worship him. And here's the key, and here's what you miss if we don't understand what worship means. What you miss is God's power in your life, okay? What you miss is God's power in your life if you miss on what it means to worship God. How many people could use a little power in your life today? Like, think about this. Maybe you're here today and you've kind of been exploring the faith journey. Maybe you went to church as a kid, kind of got away from it because it really didn't offer anything, and now you're at a point in your life where you're like, what is it? And maybe I can find, maybe what I'm missing is something that can be found at church, and you're exploring, and it could be that, that what you're missing is this ability to worship the God who created you. You know what, maybe today you got some questions about the future. Man, there's some uncertainty out there. You, you're facing some big decision, and you don't know exactly how it's going to go down, and you're at a crossroads, and do I go left or do I go right? Listen, worship. Worship is the key to you making the right decision as you learn what it means to worship God. You know, maybe you do have a level of anxiety today. Anybody in here anxious this morning? Got a little worry going on? Read the news and all the turmoil that we have and maybe you've got some personal anxiety about some uncertainty in your life and as you look down the road, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And worship, worship is where we get the power to give us peace in the midst of our worry. This is what we miss out on in life. Now, now, one of the things about worship, and maybe you've heard this. Have you heard this? Worship is a lifestyle. Anybody heard that? Like worship, it's about everything, right? If we're going to worship God, it's going to be with everything. It's got to be with my time. It's got to be with my job. It's got to be with my money. It's got to be in my relationships. It's got to be everything. Specifically today, I want to talk about this thing we do on Sunday morning when we come together and sing. When music plays, right? Because we all gather. Why do you come on Sunday? Right? Why do you come on Sunday? Like, do you come just to be able to drop your kids off and because they'll get some good teaching and maybe meet some friends? Is it just because, hey, it's just kind of the routine. It's the kind of the thing I do. How many of you guys, how many of you guys come to worship and you're a little disappointed we only sang two songs? How many of you? Like some of you? Well, I'm not offended, but anyway. Uh, so we're going to do a little more at the back end of the service today. Listen, why, why is it that we come? Why do we do this with all the resources and all the time and all the intention? Why do we do this thing called worship? So we're going to look at a story in 2 Kings today. If you have a Bible, we'd love for you to grab it today. Uh, and I just want to kind of paint this picture of worship as being the, the pathway to God's power in our life. That potentially this is the missing ingredient to the life that you really believe is promised to you when it comes to following Jesus. Now, I want to give you a little context for this story. So you have the nation of Israel, God's people, and they are, about, they are being... Uh, 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 the, the Moabites have overrun them. They're always coming against them. They're always raiding their villages. They're always uh, stealing their crops and demolishing their cattle and their agriculture. And so they want to do something about it. So they're going to go to war. So the Israelites are going to go to war with Moab. Not only that is the Israelites, they are facing a drought. They have no water to drink. And so they need some, pre- they need some of God's presence in their life. They need some of God's power and what's going on. They need God to come through for them. So they call a guy named Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Elisha was a prophet. In the Old Testament, 
prophets spoke for God. So they call Elisha and they're like, hey, Elisha, we need God's attention here. We need him to do something here. We are in trouble. We need to see God's power to deliver us from our enemies. And watch the first thing that Elisha says in verse 15. Elisha says, but now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Like, is that going to be your go-to if you're in trouble? A musician? Like, that's just not how we think. Like, think about this. A couple of weeks ago, in the last 10 days or so, we sent a, a team in to capture uh, the, the leader of ISIS, right? Like, imagine they do this. They're in their planning meeting. The general's sitting around. Hey, I think we need to get Kanye to come and to go his Jesus is King album, right? We need Justin Bieber. We need some musician to come in and lead the way. Like, that is not the go-to, is it? I'm getting Nate Diaz come in there and take care of business. Like, that is not how we think. Elisha knew something that we miss. Elisha knew that worship, worship is the pathway to God's power in our life. I wonder how many of us are missing that today. Like, like we all have such different backgrounds in worship, don't we? Well, like how many of you, maybe it's denominational, it's your tradition. How many of you grew up Catholic? Like, a lot. And so you have some things you did growing up in worship, and it was probably a little more formal. Had, you had some things you memorized, you kind of said them, and maybe some things were said in Latin. You didn't even understand what was happening. You know? And just maybe, how many of you maybe grew up uh, uh, like Presbyterian high church, Episcopal kind of ways? Right? You had high church, you had formal, some of you grew up Methodist, um, some of you grew up maybe more charismatic, maybe Pentecostal, Assembly of God, anybody? Some more charismatic folks? I think they're all in the first service. No, I'm kidding. Um, we got some of you guys, right? See, they, like the Catholics kind of did that. Pentecostals in AG, hey, me, look at me. They raised their hands quick because that's what they do, right? They're more expressive in worship. How many of you, how many of you grew up Baptist in worship? Yeah, come on, right? Now, I grew up Baptist in worship, very, very, very stoic. Like, if anybody ever clapped in our church, we thought something was wrong. You know, something would happen, and there was the choir robe, and of course, I'm a kid, I'm like, do they have clothes on under there? And, and, and man, you know, something, they'll sing, and something would happen, and there was no clapping. It was like, man, you just better not even act like you enjoyed that. I mean, it was, it was something else. So this is, the, this is the kind of the background that I had, and we all have a background that when it comes to worship, we all bring some baggage, don't we, about what worship means. And so, I, and I have my own set of bag, baggage. I can, I can remember when we first launched Stone Creek, um, I can remember we were, we had a rock band. And uh, even though some people would have said the drums are the devil's instrument, you ever heard of that growing up? And so we still had it. And we, you know, we knew that Martin Luther uh, actually pulled secular songs out of bars that put Christian tunes to them. Like, okay, that sounds like something nobody's going to try. And so we were still a little bit, you know, rigid in our worship. And I can remember the first time my, my, my experience in worship would have been like this. Now I would sing or, or maybe like this but I didn't want to let my hands get out of control. And so I would keep them in control. I can remember the first time our worship pastor was coaching and kind of teaching about the value of raising hands. And this is what I thought to myself. When this service is over, I'm firing him. That's what I'm doing. Because <laughs> it just wasn't my, it wasn't something I was used to until I read the Bible. Right? And I began to unpack what it looked like for, and what worship looks like in the Bible. So what I want to do in the next few minutes that we have is in, in, the, in the book of Psalms, now that's in, in the book of Psalms, there are uh, seven different Hebrew words for praise. Okay, seven different words. They're translated into English. 
And so I'm going to kind of walk us through what they look like, these words look like, to help us have a more robust understanding of worship. And maybe it can help uh, unleash some of us in areas where actually we're being held back, in areas where we're not experiencing God's presence, we're not experiencing God's power, and maybe, just maybe today, you're only getting part of God because he's only getting part of you. And so let's look at, at some of those words for worship. You know, in the book of Psalm, verse 100, it says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Like it, sing, it just says it. Now, now in scripture, what we see is that there's a couple of different Hebrew words for singing. There's two different words. One of those words is tehillah. One of those words is tehillah. Now, I wanted to put it on the screen because I knew that some of you would think that I said tequila. And I know, I know what you're thinking, like, Stephen, if, te- if it's tequila, then I can get my worship on with that. <clears throat> can we do that with communion? Um, no, we can't. But tequila, it just means a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. Right? It's just a song like that we're commanded to praise God with singing. This is something that's not an option. It's commanded of us. Now, one of the things that's unique to our culture and the times that we live in is, 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 is the fact that, you know, back when I was a kid, anybody remember this, a hymnal? Anybody remember a hymnal? God, you, did you get all warm and fuzzy when I held it up? Like, it's, oh, that makes me feel so good. On the front of it, it says First Baptist Church, Natchez, Mississippi. That's where I'm from. Now, some of you are thinking this. You're like, how did you get that? Did you ask permission for that? I'll let you think about that for a minute. Man, there's some great songs in here. And what would happen is we would sing songs that were in this book. Like if you didn't have this experience. So every Sunday it was, you know, turn to the solid rock, 337. Stanzas one, two, and four. Am I right? Yeah, some of you know what I'm like. We didn't, we didn't read them all. And so, and this was great, right? It was great. It, it was, and, and even today you can read through this. It's great devotional material. It's fantastic. But now we, we get new worship songs all the time. Man, people write new songs, they show up on Spotify, they show up, we sing them, and we have new songs, but we have this idea of singing that is part of how God commands us to worship. There's another one, Zamar. Zamar, now it's to make music, it's to celebrate in song and music, to touch strings or parts of musical instruments, right? So clearly, instruments are involved, okay? Instruments are involved. What's funny, it doesn't say anything about organs, am I wrong? Although I think organs are awesome, Um, but it does talk about stringed instruments. And so whatever the instrument may be, man, God created it. And so we're to use it. See, music has a special place in culture because God's created us this way, right? So so if you think about, even in our culture, you have, you know, shows on TV that are uh, singing shows that are competitions. You have, you know, The Voice and you have American Idol and you have all these different singing shows. Music just has a way of speaking to our hearts. We have Spotify and Pandora and Sirius XM Radio. We have all kind of different, FM and AM, of course, but all these different ways that we listen to music because it's just part of how God has created us. It's how we're wired. Do you, do you know, there are some songs that play sometimes and they just transport you back. Like maybe uh, in high school, you know, I can remember I, I, I was a, I was rock and roll guy. Right. I loved kind of Queen and Guns N' Roses and uh, Van Halen. And, you know, and now it's considered classic rock, even though my kids call it oldies. Um, but that was just so when I hear some of those songs, I'm like, oh, nostalgia. So it has this ability to transport us. It speaks to our heart, doesn't it? Music has this ability to speak to our heart. Now, we have done a good job, I believe, in this century of really speaking to our head. 
of thinking about, hey, is my faith real? Can it be proven? You can look at our Easter podcast that talked about the proof of the resurrection. We should never leave our minds at the door when it comes to faith. But we should also never leave our hearts at the door when it comes to faith. And the way that we engage our heart is through music. Hey, what about, what about soundtracks in movies? Like, can you imagine watching a movie without a soundtrack? Right? We, they would make no money because we would not go. Like one, one of the iconic scenes uh, uh, is uh, Rocky running up the stairs, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, that victory dance, right? Like, what do you think that's like without music, right? Well, let's just take a look. Well, that was inspiring. You know, you never thought about that. Like, he's, all you hear is breathing hard and stomping. Like, that is not inspiring at all. Now, we remember the soundtrack, don't we? Like, and it goes a little like this one. Right? Like, doesn't that feel better? Like, which life do you want? The one that sounds like breathing hard and stomping on stairs or that one? Like, that's the one I want. Like, music just has this ability to stir our hearts. And this is because God has created us this way. Someone has said it this way. They said, music is God's love language. Right? And I think probably all the love languages are God's, but... There is something about worship. As you read the Bible, you see the story of Elisha. You see many times when the nation of Israel is going into battle that the worship leaders are the ones that go first because they invoke God's presence and his power. And maybe just maybe part of what's missing for you, part of what's, where you're not experiencing the power of God is the fact that you're not taking enough time to stop and stare at the majesty of God through worship, through worship. There's another, there's another word called halal. Halal means to boast, to rave, to shine. It's where we get our word hallelujah. It's where we get our word hallelujah. Everybody heard of the word hallelujah before? The hallelujah chorus, uh, uh, which when you, whenever that is played, it was written in the 1700s, whenever it's played, people stand, right? Halal comes from hallelujah. It means just to make a big deal about. It means to brag on. It means to rave about. It means to talk about. You know, um, one of the things about um, about Halal is that, is that we, we love to brag on things. There's a lot of things we brag about. We, we make a big deal about a lot of things. We may make, make a big deal about a restaurant. We go to a new restaurant and it was good. And we tell people, hey, you got to come try this out, man. This thing was amazing. You tell them what to order. It could be a movie. You'd be like, you need to go to that movie. It was amazing. And, and you know, whatever it is, we, we tend to brag. We brag on our kids. What, what this means is that in worship, what we're doing is we're bragging on God. We're talking about how great God is. Think about some of the old hymns um, that would have been in that hymnal. One of them is How Great Thou Art. You remember that one? We're going to sing that in just a minute. Get ready. You're not ready. Get ready. You're not ready. Get ready. But, but I love the lyrics of that song. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. Hey, this is what halal is. God commands us to brag on him because of his majesty. 
God is great and God is good, right? There's another one, Shabbat. Shabbat, another Hebrew word for praise. It means to address in a loud voice, loud voice, not to talk under your breath in church, right? But in a loud voice. See, I see all of you talking under your breath a lot when I'm up here. Um, but it means in a loud tone to shout, commend, glory, and triumph. It's just kind of this shout of victory that happens that, that's really loud. It's not something that we hold back. And we, we tend to be very celebratory when our teams win or when something good happens. Have you noticed this? You know, just this last week, uh, the Washington Nationals won the World Series. Oh, I know we're Braves fans. It was pow. No, no. <laughs> There's enough pain in this room right now. <laughs> no, that's fine. You can do that. You need to do that for Jesus in a minute, though. I'm just saying. Oh, that's so funny. You ought to celebrate. That's great. Ah, so the, the Washington Nationals won. I'm going to help you out here. So you're about to. Yeah. So the Washington Nationals won. And so the Washington was playing in Houston. OK. And so all of Washington's fans were back home in Washington. They were in the stadium back in Washington. Right. Watching the game on the Jumbotron. And so when they win, there's this collective Shabak, this shout of triumph. And I do have it on video for you. So here we go. Let's take a look. Three, two. Washington Nationals are world champions. <laughs> Who is that guy swimming across the dugout? <laughs> hey, they were celebrating, right? Just all of a sudden, boom, there's this shout of victory. And that's what it means. That's what this shout is. And that's the shout of victory that we have. Maybe you've been around here when we have baptism. We're like, we should celebrate baptism. That's the way it should look. We should get excited about it. We should, sh we should Shabbat. Now, 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 here's the reality. Uh, in uh, Psalm, the next Psalm we have up that talks about this idea of Shabbat into the next generation. It says, one generation will praise your works to another. In other words, will Shabbat your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So when we worship together, what we're doing is we're yelling. We are having a loud voice, a victory call into the next generation. And we want our voices to be the loudest voices in our kids' lives. Because listen, if we don't shabak into their, into their future, our culture will shabak something different, won't they? Man, they'll get so many different messages, so many mixed messages, and they will not follow God. And we want to be sure that we're always speaking into the next generation words that will help them remember. Remember that time we prayed. And God came through. Remember that time we were down and God showed up. Remember that time we were lonely. Remember that time. Remember that time. Remember that time. That is what it means for us to worship into the next generation. You know, the next word that we have is yada, yada. Now, you may think Seinfeld made this up with yada, yada, yada. That's not the case. Um, to revere or worship with extended hands, right? To hold out the hands, throw a stone or an arrow. So you get this idea of throwing a stone that your hands are lifted high in victory. Man, in victory. Um, it's, it's mentioned 111 times that your hands are lifted in victory. This is the universal sign of victory. Do you know this? This is why football is God's sport, because that's a touchdown. <laughs> Listen, we know, man, anytime something good happens, we just throw our hands in the air. It's just natural for us. Man, we hold up signs of victory. I, I've done this so many times. Like, there's those times when I'm wrestling with my boys, and I throw them on the ground, and I just hold my hands up. 
over them like that, and they let me. Um, and so there's just this sign of victory. We know that this is the sign of victory. We give a high five, don't we? Because that's just a sign of something great that just happened. And so we give a high five, and we have this sign of victory. It is universal. You know, when my, one of my sons, my middle son, is my second son. He's my oldest son, but he's a nurse. I've shared some of this story, but when he graduated from college, he got his bachelor's in nursing and he wanted to get his boards and pass his certifications before getting a job because he felt like that would set him up to get a better job. And so because his dad has a house, he could do that and he could move in with his mom and dad for a few months, which we we're obviously grateful and glad to do that. But I can remember the day, which was a couple of months later after he studied, he took his boards and he passed. I got home and he'd already texted me and him and his uh, girlfriend were in our basement and I went down and I just started jumping up and down, losing my mind. Why? Because we won. Because he passed and he was going to move out. I was pumped. <laughs> but I just had my hands up. And this is the sign of victory. Like, this is why we raise hands in worship, right? It's because it's just a sign. Hey, man, we're, we, we believe that you give us the victory. Hey, there's another word that's also similar to this called tada. Tada. Um, and uh, again, this, these are Hebrew words for praise. An extension of the hand, thanking God for things not yet received. Thanking God for things not yet received, right? So, what happens is so many times there's something we're not experiencing. And we're living in a struggle. We're living in the middle of unanswered prayer. We're living in a physical problem. we got health issues. We just lost our job. Man, our marriage is going through some rocky times. And when we worship, what we're doing is we're singing to God and holding hands up saying, God, I believe you're going to come through. God, I believe that you have good for me on the other side of this. I believe you won't leave me or forsake me. I believe that you are good. This is one reason. And some of you today probably need to raise hands and surrender, don't you? And just saying, God, I believe, even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it, God, I believe that you're good. And I just want to, to die. I just want to worship you, even in the midst of this. You may say, I don't feel like working. I don't feel like worshiping. That's maybe what you feel. You don't feel like worshiping. But what, what the Bible commands us to do is to worship at all times in every way. And maybe today, maybe today is the day you just need to worship in your waiting. It's another physical posture. And the next word we have is Barak. Barack, not Barack Obama, but um, y'all didn't laugh either. I don't get that. What's up with that? Uh, it means just to kneel, right? To bless God is an act of adoration, to praise, to salute, to thank God. Now, this word is the most important one. Okay, this word is used over 289 times in the book of Psalms, right? In the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms, just to show you how important God takes Music and worship. The book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, and it is a hymn book. Longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, the longest one. It's a hymn book. And in that book, 289 times, this word Barak is used. So here's the image you have it's this image of humility. If you were to walk into the presence of a king, and when you walked into the presence of a king, you would bow, but you would also keep your eyes on the king. That no matter where he went in the room, you would turn and you would keep your eyes on the king. You would stare at the king. No matter where you went in the room, you would always be facing the king and staring at the king. This is part of what it means to worship. It helps us to get our eyes on the king, on the one that matters, on the one that is worthy of our worship. Gives him our undivided attention. And there was a, a basketball coach I had that used to tell me, used to tell us this as we would gather. He would say, 
listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes. What, what, what great words for us. Because if you're not listening with your eyes, I, if you're not looking at me, I'm not sure you're listening. I'm not sure you get what I'm saying. If you're looking at your phone while we're talking, I feel disrespected. If you're looking somewhere else, and so we listen with our eyes. So this word, Barak, 289 times, means we focus our eyes on Jesus. Hey, this is what Sunday morning's about. There's a war going on for where we stare. There's a war going on for it. It comes from social media. It comes from our devices. It comes from billboards. It comes from politicians. It comes from everywhere. And we have to be very intentional about where we are staring. And Sunday morning gives us the ability to recalibrate and reorient our lives around the God who created us and to invite his presence into our situation, whether it's victory or whether it's defeat and tragedy. This is how we get God's undivided attention. You know, you get God's undivided attention when he gets yours. You get God's undivided attention when he gets yours. This is how we worship. And so we're commanded to put our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's what worship is. So, so when we worship, man, you're not staring at Patrick or Leslie or any musician on the front. Man, we are, our eyes are fixed on God. Our hearts are attached to God through worship. So now what we want to do is, just like Elisha called out the musicians, I want to call out the musicians to come out and lead us in worship today. So the band's going to come out as we take a moment to just recalibrate around worshiping the God who loves us and created us. And so they're going to come out, and as they kind of get settled in, what, what's going to happen is you're going to stop staring at me and stare at them, right? And so in order for that not to happen, I want to read just a couple of patch, passages, just setting the stage for the majesty and the glory of the God that we should worship today. You know, for some of us, we just need to sing. We just need to finally make a, chan, uh, make a change and just begin to engage the lyrics. For some of us, man, we need, to, we need to hold our hands up in victory. For some, it's hold our hands up in surrender that we need God to come through for us. But what we want to do is we want to halal. We want to rave to God about God. And so as, as we kind of, as I begin to read a couple of these passages, one's in Psalms and one's in the book of Revelation, just close your eyes, bow your head, as, and just use these words as the prayer of your heart as we enter this time of worship. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any words like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. They shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. You know, in the book of Revelation, which paints the picture of what will look like when we cross over into heaven, we have these words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to God, they cast their crowns before the throne and they said, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God, we know we're created to worship you. 
And God, that sometimes we don't feel like it, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we may not believe, but God, help worship to be such a key part of our life that invites the power of God and the presence of God into every single day that we live. And we pray that Jesus today would be lifted up and we'd make much of him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.